Good morning. Welcome home, family. Uh, so glad to see everyone this morning. Thank you, worship band, for helping lead us in worship. Thank you, um, Kate Carius, a.k.a. Mom, for telling the story. Um, I will not be dressing up this morning um, as Esau or any, but um, I have to give my mom credit for keeping the names as well as she could because she does have a son named Jacob who has a son named Isaac, which is backwards and gets confusing. But um, so there you go. We're going to, as you already know, going, uh, continue our journey through the book of Genesis, and we'll be in Genesis chapter 27 this morning. So you can prepare your, uh, open your Bibles there if you want to before we dive in. And we're going to be looking at the story of Jacob, Jacob stealing Esau's blessing from Isaac. But before we hit, uh, go there, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for this morning when we can gather as your body and we can praise your holy name, that we can love each other well and we can open up your word and see your great redemptive plan played out through history and how you have been moving people and that you've been using people despite their sin. And so, Lord, I just pray this morning as we open up your word that you bring it to life in our minds and our hearts, that we can understand it more clearly, that we can grab hold of what you want us to know, that we can see you in the midst of it. And know how we're supposed to worship you and how you have saved us. Lord, we love you. We seek you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. That might be the most famous of all lines from Scottish poem. Because how many other Scottish poems can you quote? It's so famous, in fact, that... Most people think William Shakespeare wrote that, which is not true. It is Sir, uh, I can't even remember his name now, Sir Walter Scott. There we go. A Scottish novelist and uh, obviously wrote poems as well. But we know that line. Probably, I'm going to bet you've heard some variation of that line. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. We know that because it resonates with us. Because we've all experienced that, that when we deceive, when we lie, all we do is make a tangled mess out of everything. We've all experienced that. At least I have, and I don't think I'm that worse than you guys. And so when we deceive, when we lie, we make a wet, a tangled mess, and we know that. Just think of the stereotypical child hiding activities from their parents. Maybe some of you guys can relate to that from both ends of the story. They want to go out and do something they're not supposed to, so they tell a lie. Then when the parent asks what they're going to do, they have to tell another lie to hide what they're doing. And then when they come home, they have to tell another lie to cover up what they did when the parent asked what they did. And then if they went out with friends, which most likely is the case, they had to make sure their tangled web was in line with their friend's tangled web, and they knew their place in their li friend's lies as their friends knew their place in their lies, and it's just a tangled mess that usually parents can see through pretty well. Most of us have been caught up in a tangled web of deception or lies in our own lives, and we start deceiving one another. We lie, we deceive, whether it's to protect our pride, make ourselves look better, to fit in, to get away with something, or just because we think it would be easier than telling the truth, we start to go down that road, and it's all too easy to deceive someone else. 
But in the midst of these tangled lives, in the midst of our lives that can so often be just tangled and messed up, there is hope. There's hope in the one that can actually see through those tangled uh, webs that we create, and there's a hope with the one who can actually lay them all straight and bring good out of the mess we cause. And I think that is what we see in Genesis chapter 27. God at work, even in the midst of a sinful family. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 27, and we're going to read the story that we just heard about Esau and Jacob and Isaac and Rebekah, the four main characters here. So it says, it starts off as, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he told Esau, called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, and he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, and that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and to bring it, Rebekah said to his son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare for them, for them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. <clears throat> but Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man. And I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in her house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread and which she had prepared into, a hand, into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may fill you, my son, to know whether you are really my, my uh, son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did, and he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, You are really my son Esau. Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed me and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. 
As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob was scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father rise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came. And I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not received a blessing for me? Reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered, answered and said to Esau, behold, I've made him lord over you. And all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you not... Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of the heaven on high. But but by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older brother, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, and Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I uh, <clears throat> be bereaved of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? A very interesting story. A story of a very dysfunctional family, but a story of a dysfunctional family that God has said will be his people. And so what do we learn when we read Genesis chapter 27? God fulfills his plan despite our sin. Because that's what we see when we read Genesis 27, is a family full of sin, and they're just like us. This is a family that manipulates one another. This is a family that lies to one another. This is a family that is jockeying for position within the family, trying to see what they're going to do. We see opposition to God's plan that he has made clear. All these things are happening, but we see that God's plan, his redemption plan of how he's going to take this one family from Abraham and make a nation from it, a nation that is going to expand and where Jesus is going to come from, and that this is going to be how God is going to bless the whole world through his chosen line that Jesus fulfills. And so we see that God fulfills his plan despite our sin. And make no mistake, no mistake here, for everyone in this story is a sinner 
not doing that good of actions. We see Isaac ignoring God's word. We see Rebekah plotting against her family. We see Jacob lying, and we see Esau hating. Everyone is plotting against everyone else, it seems. And, but we know that God's plan is going to be fulfilled, and we actually see how God weaves these broken lives into his great story of which we're all part of. God fulfills his plan despite our sin. And so let's look at Isaac. We see the story starts with Isaac wanting to bless his son Esau. He's in his old age. He's so old that he's gone blind. And, but he says, I almost can feel that my days are numbered. I'm about to die. Let me bless my favored son Esau before I die. On the surface, that seems right. It seems good. Why wouldn't he want to bless Esau? But if we go back to Genesis 25, we see, in fact, that what Isaac wants to do is he wants to go against God's own word. For in Genesis chapter 25, we see how God appeared to Rebekah and said, it will be the younger who's going to reign. The older is going to serve the younger. And so Jacob is the one who's going to continue the selected line, the one that's going to be blessed, the one who's going to continue my people. And so he's the one who should get the blessing. But Isaac, as we know also from that chapter, loved Esau, a dysfunctional family where the father loved one son and the mother loved the other one better than the other. And so Isaac ignores God's word and sets out to bless Esau instead of Jacob. And so we see even that, that we see sin here, that Isaac knew the good he was supposed to do. He was supposed to bless Jacob, and yet he chose to bless Esau. And that is sin. When we know the good we're supposed to do and don't do it, as James 4, 17 says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So Isaac, who knew God's word and knew what he was directed to do, but yet to ch chose to go against it for the love of his other son, he was in sin. He was ignoring God's plan. He was ignoring God's word and doing his own thing, what he thought was right. Now, this gets tough when we turn it back on ourselves. For how often do we know the good we're supposed to do and yet don't do it? For how often have we heard the word of God proclaimed and we know how we're supposed to respond, and yet for whatever reason we decide not to be moved to action? And if that's true, which I think all of us have been there, myself included, that is wrong. We're living outside of what God has called us to do. Sometimes we get saying, well, I'm not hurting anyone. I'm just living my life. I can do these things. But then we forget all the things we've heard the word proclaimed to us. And we ignore them, such as maybe to love our neighbors and ourselves, to set our minds on the things above, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, to repay evil with good, to turn the other cheek, to bear one of his burdens. And that's just to name a few. All these things we're called and we know we're supposed to do. And how easy is it to ignore them? When they get uncomfortable, when they call us to move, when they call us to act, when they call us to give up something of ourselves, to serve someone else, and we can be just like Isaac, ignoring God's word. But there's hope and encouragement in here. There's hope that God's plan doesn't depend upon us doing what he has made clear we should do. 
Because God's plan will continue. God will make sure what needs to happen will happen. So there's hope there because if, if, we, if God's plan relied on us getting everything perfect, it wouldn't happen. And so we have hope there that God's plans prevail. But there's also great encouragement there. For he, does, he calls us to act. He calls us to respond. And he, he does use us in amazing ways. And it's a privilege to be part of God's plan and mission. And so we should strive to always follow. So we should not ignore God's word, but rather know it and apply it. So there's hope and encouragement even in the midst of our sin because God fulfills his plan despite our sin. Rebecca hears Isaac's plan to go against the word of God. They lived in tents. I'm pretty sure it was pretty easy for Rebecca to go, oh, she's, he's planning on giving the blessing to uh, Esau. And so she starts plotting with Jacob, her favored son. Again, we see mighty dysfunction there. And you might say, well, well, she's just trying to fulfill the prophecy. She knows God's word, and so she's trying to be true to it. And so she plots with Jacob, and she, she, she's the mastermind behind it all. Jacob kind of gets cold feet, but don't make a mistake. It's not because he was a decent person thinking, I shouldn't do this. He's rather, rather like, I could get in trouble? And mommy, I don't want to get in trouble. And she's like, don't worry, my son. If you get in trouble, the curse will be on me. I'll take care of it. And so he's like, okay. And so he goes through with her plan. But Rebecca is the schemer here. She is plotting this whole thing to get Jacob the blessing. And we can say, well, what is wrong with that? That's what God said should happen, right? And so that should be how what she does. But the mistake here was the wrong belief that the ends justified, I mean, the means justified the ends. That she believed it was okay to lie, deceive, manipulate if it brought about a good ending. That she had the faulty belief that God's plan could not come about without her acting and acting immorally. And Jacob acting immorally. Because God doesn't need our help. And he cares about how we act. And they all acted wrong. And that's important for us to remember today because it's so easy to get iffy about ethics. We can tell ourselves, the end result is good. It's actually something God wants. Therefore, how I get there does not matter. We can say, hey, God has asked me to provide for my family that's good. Well, that's true. So good. So I can do questionable business practices and cheat my clients. That's okay, right? And we've gone off to rails. And we can do that so easily. We can convince ourselves the end result is what matters. And God wants me to be happy, right? God wants me to be blessed. God wants even his gospel message to extend across the globe. And so I need to preach it boldly, but maybe I can preach it with twisted truths and, and manipulate people's feelings and emotions to get the response I want. And again, we see how we can fall into that trap just like Rebecca, thinking that God needs us to get his plan accomplished. But never think that God's plan needs you. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? But it's the truth. And it's actually a great lifting of a burden off your back 
Because if you've gone through your life thinking that God's plan needs you to do certain things, you're bearing a weight, and then when you mess up, you look upon and you say, man, all these people's lives are ruined because of me, and where, what can happen because I've messed up? But God's plan doesn't need you, but by his grace, by his mercy, by his love, it includes you in your life no matter how messed up it is. By his grace, he takes sinners and he turns them into saints. By his mercy, he takes us weak and feeble and uses even our fumbling attempts to serve him for his glory and for the furthering of his plan. And so there's great hope when we read this story and we see the sin of God working this because God fulfills his plan despite our sin. Well, Jacob is a good son, I guess. And so he follows Rebecca's plan. He puts on the whole masquerade, dresses up like Esau. Knew it was ridiculous. Probably was felt kind of ridiculous walking through the camp that way. Headed to Isaac's tent. And he lied to his father directly three times. You really see this tangled web that he's starting creating for himself. He sounds like a teenager lying to his dad about where he's been, but he lies to him. He walks in there and says, hey, I'm Esau. Trust me, Isaac, I'm Esau. And then when Isaac is like, wow, you got back from hunting so fast. How did that happen? Jacob doubled down. He brings God into his lie. <laughs> the Lord, your God, granted me success. And so I, got, I bagged that deer really fast. And then when Isaac is still kind of troubled and says, man, you don't sound like my son, he again says, hey, I'm Esau. Trust me in this. And so Jacob receives the blessing through deceit. And it's a great blessing. It's a mighty blessing. It's a blessing for provision that he says, you know, this dew and this fatness and the plenty of this land that he'll always be provided for, that the dew is, this, is a metaphor of, prov- of uh, provision, abundance in this area because the dew is what watered the, the, the land in this time in the morning and this fat and plenty. This is how they understood that you're going to be taken care of. It's a, a blessing of univ- universal dominion that all of his brothers, all of his family will serve him. He will be the master. Even nations will bow down to him. It's a blessing of God's protection as Isaac hearkens back to the blessing, the original blessing given to Abraham in Genesis 12, 12 and says, anyone who curses you will be cursed. Anyone who blesses you will be blessed. It's that the blessing of Abraham is now given to Jacob. But he gets this through deceit. A true and real blessing meant for his brother but which God used Jacob and Rebekah's deceit and manipulation to bring about his plan, his prophecy, for Jacob to receive this blessing. That God actually used their wrongdoing to bring about what he wanted to happen. The, bless, the deceiver gets the blessing, the liar gets the covenant promise, the sinner is chosen. In that, we see the truth the gospel, the loveliness of the gospel, the good news that God saves us despite our sin. 
that God saves us through Jesus Christ, not based on anything we have done, but based on what he has done. And despite our sin, despite our lies, despite our manipulation, it's all because of his love and to carry out his plan. So the gospel is a harsh truth, but it's also a glorious truth. The sinner is chosen. The liar gets the blessing. The manipulator is blessed by God. The one who wants nothing to do with God's plan or trying to use it for his own gain is going to be used for God's glory. This is a harsh truth because it says, point blank, we are sinners. There's nothing good in us that we bring to the table. We don't have any leverage towards God saying, you owe this to me. It's harsh in that reality, but it's glorious at the same time for we are forgiven. And we are pulled into his plan. We're adopted into his family, and he has great plans for us to further his kingdom. God still saves us just like he was moving in the lives of Jacob and Esau and Rebekah and Isaac, despite our sin. That we who believe in Jesus and what he did for us, what he accomplished for us, it means that we are chosen despite our failings, our mess-ups, our rebellion. And that's a glorious truth indeed. God fulfills his plan despite our sin. Esau doesn't like what happened. He's furious. He even comments on, gee, mom and dad, you named Jacob well, for Jacob means hill grabber, deceiver. And that's what he's done. He's deceived me once again. And so he's so mad, he says, I am going to kill my brother. Once Isaac is dead, you are next, Jacob. Well, Rebecca doesn't like this. Her favorite son is going to be threatened by her other son, which apparently she doesn't like that much. And so she arranged for Jacob to get out of town. She says, Jacob, you're going to go visit my brother up in Haran, and you're going to go up there, and that will be where you're going to be safe from your brother Esau and his wrath. And that's actually, as we know the story, if we know the story, that's where Jacob goes and he finds a wife, two wives, and he continues the the lineage of Abraham, and God uses that pushing Jacob out to bless him in ways that he couldn't even imagine. That even in Esau's hatred of Jacob, God is working, that God uses a brother's anger to move the story and the plot along, that he uses the story to continue the redemption plan that he had already has planned and is working out. And this reassures us, it should reassure us, because it means that even in the parts of life that we don't understand, it means even in the parts of life that are uncomfortable, it means even in our pain and our misery, we can trust that God is moving in our lives and he's orchestrating it for his glory and he's orchestrating it for our good, all to bring his plan further along the plot that he has decided. That way, when we can say to ourselves that when I don't know what's happening in my life, God knows that when I don't know how this will work within God's promises, God knows. When I don't understand how I can get through even today, God does. And so we trust in him. 
because his plan prevails, that God fulfills his plan despite our sin. And that is good news, and it's a testimony of the whole Bible, that God's plans prevail. Isaiah 14, 24 says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so it shall be. As I have purposed, so it shall stand. That God's plans stand. That no one can thwart them. None of our mistakes can undo them. None of our fumbling can mess it up. God's plans stand, and that is good. And furthermore, something glorious happens because he encompasses our life into his plans, which is why Proverbs 16.9 can say, the heart, of, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And Proverbs 19.21 can say, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. That even as we are working in our lives, even as we're fumbling through the dark, even as we're trying to follow as best as we can, God's plan prevails and he uses us, everything we do for that plan that gives us reassurance that we're not on some plan B because we've messed up of God, that we're not somehow messed up and not going to get the blessing we deserve from God because we've not done what we're supposed to do. We always do that every single day. We don't do what we're supposed to do, but God's plans prevail and he uses us. He takes our ugly rebellion and he weaves it into his beautiful plan. And so we can rest assured that his redemption stands, that he's going to bring us to the end that he has promised, that he is going to save us despite of all of our mess-ups, and that his his gospel will be preached and extend to the ends of the earth as he's working out his redemption story. And we who mess up, who know we're not good enough, we know how often that we fail again and again. We, us sinners, rejoice in this truth that God's plan for our salvation our sanctification, us becoming more and more like Christ, will not fail. It will not be thwarted. God's plan will not stop. God's plan will not and cannot be changed or moved because of our shortcomings. My brothers and sisters, in the midst of our sin and stupid decision, the invincible plan of God is set and it will bring us to completion. Even as our sin fights against it, there's hope. Which is why Paul can rejoice in Philippians 1, 6, when he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work will bring it to completion at the day of Christ." And Psalm 138, 8 can say, The Lord will fulfill his purposes for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands, that our hope is in God and in his plan. Not be determined by us, but be determined by him. So let us hope in his perfection, his love, his mercy, his grace, his, his, his plan set before us, moving us forward, for he is sure even when we are not. God fulfills his plan despite our sin. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much that you stand true, that your word is not moved, 
that your word is solid, on which we can stand, on which we build our houses, our lives, our existence. And Lord, we praise your holy name, for you are good when we're not good. For you are perfect when we're imperfect. For you can take our broken lives and use them for your glory. You can take our sin and don't condone it. Don't say it's right, but still somehow use our sinful lives to bring about your plan, to further your redemption story, to to help spread the gospel, to bring people into your family. It's an amazing thing when we look at you, Lord, and we praise your holy name and ask that we can trust in you all the more, that we can be moved to put our trust in you and only you, that our hope is in you standing firm. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is not in our wisdom and our strength or anything else we bring for those we're failed, but our hope is in you and in you alone, our Lord. Lord, we love you. We seek you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Let's all stand together and sing.